Look in uh, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 32, and uh, we're going to share a message entitled, Great Grace. You look at the, what's going on in the world today, you look at the things that we have to deal with in a personal level, uh, you look at what's going on on a national level, you know, certainly uh, we have to acknowledge we need the grace of God uh, to get us through, and so... Great grace, and in Acts chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 32, it says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were uh, possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made to, unto every man according as he had need. And Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Verse 33 is our text verse. Uh, With great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Uh, thinking about this great statement here in reference to the early church, and uh, this is in the very beginning stages of the early, early church. Uh, we certainly know that at this, by this point in time that uh, Peter has already preached the great message on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 souls were saved. And, and uh, we certainly know that there was a man healed and uh, they would rejoice and celebrate the healing and power of God. There were people's lives that were being changed. The spirit of God was moving in a powerful way. And the acknowledgement of what was taking place was based on the fact that there was great grace upon them all. Uh, you know, when you think about the word grace, the grace is found 159 times in the Bible uh, 122 times of uh, that 159 is found in the New Testament. And so it's so important for us to understand the grace of God uh, that works on our behalf and helps us to be able to experience the blessings of the Lord. All the time, man likes to boast about his own abilities or his own experiences, but the reality is anything that we are or anything that we can accomplish is all based on the grace of God. You can see in your notes a definition for grace is merciful kindness by which God, uh, exerting his holy influence upon souls, turns them to Christ, keeps, strengthens, and increases them in the Christian faith. In other words, everything about our Christian faith that we have is all about grace. Uh, and uh, grace has often been identified as uh, the unmerited favor of God upon us. We don't deserve anything, uh, but yet God has chosen to bless us in a great way. We don't deserve to be saved, but God saves us. Uh, certainly the way we live our lives many times, uh, uh, 
uh, uh, discontinuing to walk with the Lord and, and be a witness for him, yet God still extends his grace to us and blesses us in spite of those things. So everything that we are, every strength that we have, whatever influence we can experience, it's all because of the grace of God. Uh, Fanny Crosby, and this is in your notes. If you're watching live stream, you have to listen up. I didn't put it on the screen. But Fanny Crosby uh, became blind at six weeks old due to an infection in her eyes, stated that God had been good to her, that she, uh, how could she complain? And uh, oftentimes we have a tendency to complain about so many things that really doesn't matter uh, in, in the scope of what life is about and eternity is about. Uh, but she acknowledged that the goodness of God, even though she had lost her eyesight as a baby, uh, she uh, later had remarked, it seemed in, uh, intended by the blessed providence of God that I should be blind all my life. And I thank him for the dispensation. If perfect earthly sight were offered to me tomorrow, I would not accept it. I might not have sung hymns to the praise of God if I had been distracted by the beauty and interesting things about me. And I read that quote, I thought, well, I wonder is that why we have such a struggle in uh, days in which we live with this whole thing of praise and worship of God. And I think that much of what our praise and worship of God is based on is what we see, what we hear, uh, what we smell, what we taste, what we experience, and it's, and it's not worship at all because it is something that is generated out of us paying attention to something other than God. And uh, so we want to praise the Lord because of who he is uh, not because of some preferences we may have in our life. That comes about by great grace. Uh, Crosby also said this, When I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. And uh, I, I think many times we forget of the preciousness of being able to see our God in heaven. And uh, it's an amazing thing. To think that when she went to glory, uh, that was the first thing she ever saw was the face of Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis stated in reference to his salvation experience, he said this, The words compel them to come in, have been so abused by wicked men that we shudder at them, but poorly understood, I'm sorry, but properly understood, they plumb the depth of the divine mercy. The hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men, and his compulsion is our liberation. And oftentimes people say, well, I don't know what kind of a God would send people to hell. Uh, he's a loving God that doesn't send people to hell. They reject his love. They reject his offer of, of mercy. They reject his offer of grace. And as a result of it, they, they send themselves to hell. If a man is saved... He is saved because of the compulsion of God, because of the impression of God extending to us his great grace to help us understand who he is. So this statement in verse 33 of our text is so important for us to understand because of the magnitude 
of what was going on in the church in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is such a great book because of the fact it records uh, the, the, really the ex existence, the uh, starting, if you will, uh, the uh, uh, empowering move of God among the believers. God was doing great and magnificent things all the way through the book of Acts, and it was because of the great grace of God. So the great grace of God was upon them all. So what was some of their experiences uh, because of this grace? In uh, Acts chapter 2, in verse 47, uh, 37, we see that they experience conviction. And uh, be thankful for the fact that God gives us conviction upon our hearts. It's God's grace being extended to us to convict us of our sin that we might be saved. And Acts 2.37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? A conviction. The grace of God brings conviction. You know, I got saved. I got saved because of the fact that uh, God convicted my heart that I was a wicked sinner and I had no hope without faith in Christ and that my life, no matter, I was working hard and doing all kinds of things that was pleasing to man and maybe satisfying to myself, but the reality was there was no peace or no assurance in my heart. And it was the grace of God that prodded my heart and caused me to say, uh, what can I do to get right with God? What is the, thing that, is the thing that I need to do to respond to the conviction of God? And so God's grace uh, was strong upon the believers in the early church. Uh, it was evidenced by the fact that they had great conviction on themselves by the Spirit of God. Not only that, but they had great adoration. Notice in Acts chapter 3, in verse 9, it says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And, and certainly we know that's Peter that healed the man that was lame. And uh, they, there was praising of God. That's adoration of God. That's acknowledging the blessings of God. It, it, they were aware of the fact that not only did the grace of God convict them about who they were in their relationship with the Lord that needed to be made right, but once they were right with God, they got saved, and they were ready to worship and praise the Lord, adore Him, and that's all by God's grace. Because man in his flesh wants to satisfy himself. But it's the grace of God that's in, in us and extended to us that gives us a desire to want to adore our God. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 2 and 3, there was opposition. Oh, there was great grace upon them, but they had to deal with opposition. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 2 says, Being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Opposition. The preaching of Christ has always brought opposition. Uh, I don't know why we've developed this mentality that the world is going to be accepting and rejoicing that you're presenting Christ to them. 
The world does not rejoice when you tell them, hey, there's one God and only one Savior and only one way to get to heaven. Uh, they don't like that. They get upset with that. I mean, just recently in our Congress, a fellow praying to the monotheistic father of all people and all this, that, and the other, uh, man always wants to present multiple gods in multiple ways to heaven in multiple saviors but wait a minute there's only one true savior and it's by God's grace when we acknowledge him and present him to others we're able to deal with the opposition that comes against us so they had great opposition they also had in, in Acts 4 and 4 uh, great salvation says so how be it many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men were about 5,000. And so, uh, yes, they had opposition, but that didn't stop them from preaching. They had great opposition, but multitudes came to Christ. Studying church history is interesting because if you study church history, you'll find that through times of blessings and, and wealth and prosperity, the church declines. But when the church is going through times of sufferings and difficulties and mankind is, is oppressed, then the church flourishes. And, uh, and listen, the oppression and the suffering that man experiences in life will cause him to turn to the God who can give him salvation. And so there was great grace upon them, and they were able to experience these things. So let's think about these you can see in your notes there, your outline, uh, about grace. Why is grace so great? Because it abounds over sin. And I like what uh, Romans 5 and 20 says, where, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And so uh, no matter how wicked a person's sin is, uh, there is grace that is greater than what that sin is. And so don't, don't, don't uh, overlook someone to talk to or to witness to because of the wickedness of their life. Uh, you're watching my live stream and you uh, are not saved. Don't think you're too wicked for God to save. Because the reality is there is grace that is sufficient to overcome uh, any sin that you have in your life. And uh, well, first of all, when you deal with this, it deals with death versus life and in the flesh is death but in the spirit there is life in Romans chapter 5 in verse 12 uh, says wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned for unto the law sin was in the world but sin is not imputed when there is no law Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgressions, who is a figure of him that was to come. And so we have to deal with this matter of death versus life. We can live in the, the uh, deadness of our flesh, or we can come to faith in Christ. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and give you more abundantly. And so the life that we have in Christ may not compare to what man in the flesh thinks is success. What we have in Christ may not compare 
to what man who rejects God believes is prosperity. But when we trust Christ as our Savior, we don't have to fear death. Why? Because we are alive in Christ. And so you have a choice. Grace will bring you to a point of either acknowledging that you're lost and you're dead in your sins. And so you need to turn to life in Christ. Uh, or you reject that great grace and you live a life that is doomed to the chastisement and the judgment of God. So great grace is upon us to help us to be able to deal with death versus life. And so no, notice also that with grace abounds over sin because of Adam versus Jesus. Uh, notice in Romans chapter 5, as we continue through that chapter, says, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one may many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abound to many. And not as it was one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. And so uh, sin, uh, grace abounds over sin because it gives us life over death, but it abounds over sin because of the fact that we have the comparison between Adam and Jesus Christ. Adam sinned and brought an offense upon all of mankind. And because he sinned and brought that offense, then all mankind is condemned. But Jesus Christ, when he came into this world, uh, he was in all points tempted, yet without sin. And so when you compare Adam versus Jesus Christ, you come to the conclusion of Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so the Christian rejoices because of the fact that God's grace is abounding in us. And as God's grace is abounding in us, we enjoy life rather than fearing death. Because of God's grace is abounding in us, we do not live according to the sinfulness of Adam, but we live in accordance with the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free. And so we, there's Adam versus Jesus Christ demonstrates for us the bounding grace of God over sin. And then I see in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 18 through 21, is condemnation versus justification. Condemnation versus justification. Romans chapter 5 and verse 18 says, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, See, people say, well, I don't understand why God would send somebody to hell. Man is already condemned to hell. He's already under the condemnation of God. 
Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. And so this concept of the condemnation that is on man versus the justification that can be experienced by the grace of God. That justification is through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So man stands in, in, in two positions, either one in a position of condemnation, or by the grace of God, he stands in a position of justification. And oftentimes they've tried to explain justification as just as if someone has never sinned. And when God looks at you through the eyes of grace, he looks at you as if you've never sinned. And so my past, I, God doesn't hold my past to, against me. God doesn't hold my sin of, of, in the past against me because I've had faith in Jesus Christ and because I have faith in Jesus Christ then I'm no longer having to deal with the condemnation of God, but I can rejoice in the justification of God. Why? Because where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And so God's grace is always ready to deliver and to change our lives. And this world needs to find out about the grace of God. Uh, you know, people are so out of whack and out of control with every issue you can imagine, whether it's medical or physical or financial or political or whatever it is, people are just out of control. And the only thing that's going to bring any reasonable sense back to life in this world is the grace of God that can change a man's life. And uh, because whatever is abounding in somebody's life, grace abounds greater. And so I'm thankful for the abounding grace of God, great grace. I see that it strengthens in uh, affliction. Uh, God's grace is able to strengthen us in our afflictions. In Romans chapter, not Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians actually, I'm looking right at it and saying 1 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in uh, verse 9, God's uh, speaking to uh, the Apostle Paul. He said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So strengthens us in our affliction. The grace of God is there to strengthen us. Peter would say, don't think it's strange when you go through a fiery trial. And oftentimes we go through fiery trials and we think it's some weird thing that we have to deal with or experience. Don't think it's strange. There's grace that is sufficient to strengthen you in the time of the affliction. And so grace is always abundant and free for us to be able to experience. Notice when he gives this instruction to Paul, and we need to back up a few verses in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 to see why that statement is made about the sufficiency of the grace of God. First of all, we have to recognize the root. 
2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 6. says, For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me, and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. I think sometimes we forget that God will allow things to come in our lives to humble us. And Paul is acknowledging the fact that the thorn in his flesh that he cried out for God to remove, uh, that God had allowed that to come into his life, and that it was he experienced it by the attack of Satan in his life to buffet him so that he would not be exalted above measure. Uh, and I, I really, I think God brings us to our knees many times. And we're not willing to recognize the root of why we are being humbled. Uh, America needs to repent. And they need to get, America needs to get right with God. And I, I really believe that God is bringing us to our knees. Uh, God is bringing us to the end of ourselves. And, um, and we must repent and recognize the root of the problem in our life is a rejection of God and a puffing up of ourselves in our pride. And so recognizing the root. Uh, we see the releasing of the power. In verse 9 where we read, my grace is sufficient. Why? Because uh, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I'd rather glory in my infirmities. And then he explains why, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. The releasing of the power of God in our life is based upon the grace of God that is sufficient and readily available to us. But the releasing of God's power is not going to take place until you are willing to uh, humble yourself and turn to God and acknowledge the fact that without his grace, you can't get through. You can't make it. And so then the grace of uh, the power of God is released in your life because God's grace is sufficient. It is not about me getting smarter. It is not about me getting stronger. I'm going to work out and get strong. It's not about me building determination in my mind. No, it's me surrendering to acknowledge that God is doing something in my life, I don't fully comprehend it, and I might not even like what it is at the time, but God is extending his grace to me to help me get through that so he might get the glory. And so strengthen in times of affliction. And then there's the rejoicing in Christ. In verse 10, he says, Therefore I take pleasure. Boy, I'll tell you, we, I could learn something from that. I, I can't say the things I go through, and sometimes I feel like I got a thorn in my flesh. Sometimes I feel like uh, things just aren't going to work out. I, I tell you, my first thoughts is not, boy, I take pleasure in this. Uh, I can learn from the Apostle Paul. He said, I take pleasure 
in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecution and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And so he's acknowledging that he was rejoicing. He was taking pleasure in what God was doing because through the process that he is shown that, wait a minute, when I am weak, that's when I am strong. And, uh, and oftentimes in our Christian life, what we do, we think we're strong in the Lord because we're boasting about all that we know. But the reality is you're showing that you're weak. Is when we turn to God and we do, don't know which way to turn, when we turn to the Lord and we don't know how to respond, when we turn to God and, and we just know that things are out of control and God's got to step in, then we become strong in the faith. Then we're strong as a believer uh, because God is getting the blessing and God is getting the acknowledgement because we're rejoicing in who he is. We take pleasure in these things. Notice some of these things he says, infirmities. Uh, infirmity just simply means weakness or frailty. And uh, 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 I have a message I preached years ago. It was entitled, The Sovereignty Sovereignty of God versus the frailty of man. And uh, you don't remember that message. I'll pull it out and I'll preach it. Amen. <laughs> the sovereignty of God versus the frailty of man. Man is frail. He is weak. And, uh, and, uh, but yet God will strengthen us and bless us in the midst of all the weaknesses and all the frailties that we have. Every infirmity that we go through, God is there to strengthen us. That's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And so in my infirmities, when I am weak and I am frail, I'm going to turn to the Lord. I can still rejoice because it is God who gives me the strength to overcome that weakness. Whatever it may be. Oftentimes people say, well, you just don't understand. I got an addiction. No, you don't understand. That is an affirmity. That is a weakness that God can give you strength to overcome if you turn to him. Because his grace is sufficient. Not only infirmities, but notice he says reproaches. The word reproaches there means to be wounded by pride and arrogance. My goodness gracious, when we get prideful, I'm glad there's grace to help us overcome that. I'm glad God can humble us in his presence and we, don't, we can lose the arrogance. And uh, they, often, they often say about us in New Jersey that we're just blunt and we're not very polite and we're arrogant and all kinds of things like that. Well, that might be true. But anyway, <laughs> God can help us overcome that uh, because of the fact that his grace is sufficient to humble us. The grace is sufficient, is sufficient to change our menta mentality and our attitude. So reproaches. Then he says necessities. Necessity simply means calamity created by circumstances in your life. Uh, we have calamity upon calamity, it seems like, right now in the world we're living in. I mean, it just sometimes I feel like when I go home, I feel like I can't, I can't listen to another bad thing. I've, he I've heard enough. 
and uh, I go home and retreat into my house and throw some wood on the fireplace and get a glass of iced tea and fall asleep in the recliner. Amen. That'll work for me. And uh, it gets me rested up and ready, and then I can get up and go to bed. Amen. <laughs> I'm good shape. The world is wonderful and everything is fine. But uh, sometimes, listen, the necessities of life overwhelm us. And we think we can't face another thing. We can't deal with another issue. Yes, you can, because God's grace is always sufficient. And so uh, necessities. He says persecutions. Well, we, we understand what that means. Uh, in the text here, it means a prolonged hostility. And, uh, and as you get closer to the return of Christ, we understand prophetically the world is going to become more and more hostile towards the Christian. That just comes with the territory. You say, well, how are we going to deal with it? God's grace. If God's grace can save us, God's grace can secure us, then God's grace can get us through the persecution. And then distresses. Distresses just simply means narrowness of place. You know, Paul would say in uh, 1 Corinthians that we're uh, 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 troubled on every side. Literally means hemmed in. Distresses in life. Sometimes you just feel like there's nowhere to turn, no way to, to respond, no way to be able to get through. Well, God's grace will get you through. Why? Great grace was upon them, and Paul was able to get through all these difficulties in his life. And so we see very clearly that the grace abounds over sin and grace strengthens us in all of our afflictions. And just add that to the thing. I didn't put it in there. It says strengthens in affliction. You need to add in there all because it does strengthen us in all our afflictions. And because a lot of times what people will say was, well, you just don't understand what I'm going through. Yeah, you're, I understand that. I don't understand what you're going through, but you don't understand what I'm going through. But I know somebody who does, and his grace is sufficient. Then we see that grace saves completely. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, we know these verses, for by grace are you saved through faith. And what a, what a tremendous blessing to be able to make that statement that we are saved by the grace of God. And Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, uh, notice it's personal. This salvation is personal. It says, for by grace are ye saved. And that's one of all these struggles I had growing up in church that did not make it personal. It was always in general terms. He, Jesus died for the sins of the world. God loves the world. Well, no, well I understand that, but he loves me. Uh, and he saved me. And so it's, it, this thing about salvation, this thing about being a Christian, this thing about experiencing great grace is very personal. Oftentimes people say, well, you don't want to talk about religion and politics. It gets personal. Yeah, you're right. It is personal. And your, your, your life for all eternity depends on whether you have a personal relationship with Christ or not. So he says here, uh, for by grace are you saved through faith. Notice, not only is it personal, but it's pivotal. Saved through faith. Man's always trying to be saved by works. Well, there's a turning point. 
you're saved when you turn that corner and acknowledge that you can't save yourself. It's through faith and by the grace of God. And so it's pivotal. It's also theological. Notice it says, for by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. In other words, God is involved in this process. Man often wants to uh, discredit God and ignore the reality of God's involvement in your salvation. But the reality is you don't get, a, you don't get saved apart from God calling you and convicting you and his grace being extended to you. God is involved in this thing. You just don't decide I'm going to go to heaven. You have to turn to God through faith in Jesus Christ. So it is a theological experience. And then I see it's relational. It says, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's based on our relationship with Christ and uh, not about us. It's not about religion. It's not about an organization. Uh, it is about uh, coming to a point where we acknowledge that I need Christ and Christ alone. Then uh, verse 10, it's occupational. Notice in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Occupational. We're saved, we're created in the likeness of God. We're saved for the glory of God. To do what? To work for Christ. Good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So God has something he wants to do in our lives. And so great grace was upon them all. No wonder the early church was so exciting. No wonder it was so powerful and life-changing in people's lives because of the grace of God that was there. May I say this, that same grace is available to us tonight. Uh, that same grace will work in our lives like it did in the early church in the book of Acts. I like what Jerry Bridges said. Your worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. So it doesn't matter whether you're having a good day or a bad day. We all need the grace of God. And no matter whether what's going on, if it's a bad day, there's enough grace to be able to get, help me overcome that bad day. If it's a great day and a good day, there's enough grace for me to acknowledge that God gets the glory. Matthew Henry said this, All the grace contained in the Bible is owing to Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And unless we consent to Him as our Lord... We cannot expect any benefit by him as our Savior. When I read that quote, I was like, i got to reread that again and think about that. And, and really, people try to say or want to experience the benefit of Jesus being their Savior. However, they will not acknowledge them, him as their Lord. And I don't believe in a lordship salvation. And I don't believe that you have to make Jesus your Lord to be saved. But if you're saved, Jesus is your Lord. Amen. And I, how, can I, how can I expect to experience and enjoy the benefits of salvation from Christ if I'm not willing to submit to the authority of Jesus Christ in every area of my life? 
So how does that come about? By grace, the great grace of God. And so Paul really, uh, um, uh, Luke, as he pens the words in Acts and gives us a historical account of God's working in the early church, acknowledges that with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection. They preached the resurrection of Christ. They had great power upon them. But why did that happen or how were they able to preach the resurrection of Christ with great power? Because of great grace that was upon them. Hey, this world we're living in right now with COVID, there's still grace of God that's able to heal and to change lives and, and deliver. Uh, in the political climate, the things that are going on right now down in D.C. and all this, that, and the other, it's happening. And everybody's trying to figure out what in the world's going on. I'm going to tell you, it's going to take the grace of God to bring calm and straighten things out. All the time people say, well, they said this, I read a statistic the other day, said that one in five Christians uh, no longer go to church. That's 20% of people who, are Christ who claim to be Christians no longer go to church. You say, well, what's the answer? What are we gonna do? How are we gonna overcome that? How we go the great grace of God. It is the grace of God that has got to move and manifest itself in our lives if we're going to be able to experience a real anointing and move of the Lord like they did in the book of Acts. Amen. Great grace. Take some time in your notes. There's some other Bible verses there. I didn't look up all the verses. Make sure you do a little study, and I think that will be a help to you. Rejoicing in the grace of God.